Hello, this is Ashley Chase welcoming you to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. For more content from my dad, Pastor Mark, Senior Pastor here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, visit realfaith.com, where you'll find study guides to go along with each sermon series as he preaches verse by verse through books of the Bible, daily devotions, free ebooks, and more. Now grab your Bibles and get ready for today's sermon. Oh, I'm so excited. Brand new sermon series, week one. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're going to be dealing with spiritual gifts so you can find your position on Team Jesus. We're going to cover a lot over the course of four weeks, and you're probably going to have some other questions. So I wrote it all up for you. If you want to go deep, grab the free copy of the book on the way out. If you're online, just go to realfaith.com and uh, you'll find a free ebook version of it there. So let me start by saying, this is so exciting. You're not excited. I'm so excited for you because what I believe God is going to do, he's going to reveal to you who you are and how he made you and his purpose and his plan for you. And I believe he has meaningful, valuable, purposeful ministry for the Holy Spirit to do through you so that you can be in the front row seat to see God working through you to impact the lives of others. This is the most exciting life. It's the most purposeful life. It's the most passionate life. It's why you were created and why you're still here. If you've already met Jesus and you have not gone to heaven, you may be wondering why the delay? Because he loves you and he has some things for you to do and some things that he wants to do in you and through you. And that's what we're talking about, finding your position on team Jesus. So let me start by saying, we've all been on various teams. When you were a kid, maybe you had a work group that was part of a school project. Maybe in college, you were in a club or an organization or a fraternity or a sorority or some sort of team. Maybe you've played on a sports team. Maybe you were a musician in a band. Some of us have been on teams for our work and job. Some of you were in the military or are in the military. We've all been on a team. And the key when you're on a team is to figure out, okay, what's my position? What's my contribution? What's my role? What are my responsibilities? And if you are a Christian, you're on Team Jesus. In the early church, when the New Testament was written, uh, the team was Team Caesar. And if you lived in the Roman Empire, you would have to say, Caesar is Lord. And that was sort of their pledge of allegiance. That was their highest alliance. That's your greatest commitment. My time, my talent, my treasure. They are to serve Caesar and the Roman Empire because Caesar is Lord. Well, then Jesus came along and Jesus said, actually, you're not the Lord. I am. Uh, I came down from heaven. I'm God. I created you and the planet, and my kingdom is a lot bigger than your nation. Well, Jesus got in a lot of trouble for saying that he was the Lord, so they killed him. They crucified him. Three days later, he got up and said, I, I told you, I'm the Lord. You know, so, <laughs> and so now we all know who the Lord is. Because Caesar was not Lord. He killed Jesus the Lord, and Jesus the Lord forgave sin and conquered death. It proves that he is the Lord of Lords. And so at that point, Christians started calling out to Jesus as Lord. And it was our way of saying our highest allegiance, our greatest alliance, our deepest devotion is to Jesus. There's no one that we are committed to. There's nothing that we're committed to that is above Jesus or alongside of Jesus. Everyone and everything is under Jesus. He is the Lord. And this caused Christians to really separate from the rest of the Roman citizens. And there was really two teams. Well, is Caesar Lord or Jesus Lord? And if you're here and you're on team Jesus, what that means is that we see Jesus as our Lord and we want to live our life under his rule and reign and we want to serve on his team. 
Now, that being said, the good news is if you are serving Jesus as Lord and you are serving on team Jesus, the really good news is you're on the winning team. How many of you have been on a losing team? We've all been on a losing team and you give all of your energy and your effort to end up like the Diamondbacks. And it's, it's, it's I mean, pray for resurrection, but they're obviously buried. So, uh, you know, and if you're a Suns fan, ah, so close. Oftentimes we're on a team and we, we give all of our effort and energy to a losing effort. The good news is if you read the rest of the Bible, especially the conclusion, it ends really well for team Jesus. Our Jesus is alive and well, ruling and reigning. One day he will return to planet earth. He will crush and conquer all of his enemies. He will usher in his eternal kingdom. He will lift the curse. And if you're on team Jesus, it's gonna be a great day every day because you're on the winning team. And when it comes to Christianity, what I want you to know is that we don't have fans, we only have players on Team Jesus. What happens in sports, there are a few players on the field and then there's a lot of fans in the stands. And, uh, and, and, and I used to play baseball. I wasn't great, that's why I'm free to do this job. But I used to play baseball and I love baseball. And, uh, and there was a day when I was a player and I was on the field and then the day came where my playing days were over. And, uh, and I became a fan and had to go sit up in the stands. And a buddy of mine, he's about a similar age, loves baseball as well. Every year, his favorite day of the year, he signs up for something called fantasy camp. Fantasy camp is where uh, heavy middle-aged men <laughs> with disposable income pretend like they're athletes. And don't judge, I think it's a good idea. So what he does, he signs up for fantasy camp and one day a year during spring training, he gets to put on the uniform, he gets to go into the clubhouse, into the dugout, onto the field, gets to take batting practice with his favorite major league team and shag a few fly balls. But it's just a fantasy. The point is, if you're on Team Jesus, there are no fans, they're only players. That church staff are to be like coaches, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, the Bible says. And if you're a Christian, that means you're on the field, you're on the team. You have a position to play. Your contributions are vital and significant. And so the hope, prayer, and goal with this series is if you're not yet serving, having found your place on Team Jesus, that you wouldn't try and be a fan because we don't have any. Uh, ultimately, all we have is players and we wanna get you on the field. And to do that, what we're talking about is spirit-filled ministry. So we're gonna jump in and look at the life of Christ and then Christians doing ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so looking at the story and the life of Jesus, we learned that he was filled, empowered, led, did ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. I wrote a whole book called Spirit-Filled Jesus that covers this, but this is a quick summation in Luke chapter three and four. When Jesus had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Up until this point, Jesus hadn't begun his public ministry. He hadn't started preaching and teaching and healing and casting out demons. This was his public initiation, inauguration of public ministry. And it goes on to then explain that this, not only the Holy Spirit descend on him as he begins his ministry, says, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan. He was led by the Spirit. He returned in the power of the Spirit. And then he goes to the synagogue. He opens the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And what scripture does he read? The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. Anointed means that the Holy Spirit has chosen and appointed him. Jesus Christ, Christ literally means anointed in the Holy Spirit. 
So Jesus is God become a man. But the question is, how did he avoid temptation? How did he do ministry? How did he preach and teach and love and heal and serve and lead by the presence and the power of the person of the Holy Spirit? And so Jesus, though he was and is God, he set aside the continual use of his divine attributes and he lived by the power of the Holy Spirit to give for us an example of what life is supposed to look like when it's lived by God's power. And so Jesus' ministry was literally spirit-filled, spirit-empowered ministry. And you can't do ministry apart from the Holy Spirit. You just can't. You just can't. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, all we have is our sinful flesh. The sinful flesh does not do holy ministry. Only the Holy Spirit does holy ministry. So what happens then is Jesus lives, Jesus dies, Jesus rises. And Jesus does all of the work for us to be Christians. And he says on the cross, it is finished, meaning I've paid the penalty for your sin. If you don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the most important decision you will ever make. And this is the day of your salvation. This is the most significant day of your life. And it is the beginning of your new eternal life. That you are a sinner, that Jesus is a savior that there is a God and he has a problem with you, but he has sent Jesus to deal with your sin problem as your savior. And after Jesus died and rose and he forgave sin and conquered death, he appeared to crowds over the course of 40 days. And then he, he ascended rather back into heaven where he had come from. Well then, the Christians are really excited. They're like, everybody's gotta know this. Jesus Christ is Lord, he's God, he's savior, he's king, he's Christ. And they just wanna go tell everybody. But before he returned to heaven, here's what Jesus told them in Acts chapter one and two. He says, you gotta wait because you can't go do ministry without the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Ministry is done by God's power, not just our power, and you will be my witnesses. Ministry is ultimately just witnessing to the goodness of God in the presence of others. When the day of Pentecost arrived, that's a Jewish holiday, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what happens is they start doing ministry, preaching, teaching, planting churches. This is where Christianity finds its inception in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The author of these two books is the same man. His name is Luke and he's a medical doctor. So he writes about the life of Christ and Christians following in the footsteps of Christ. And he shows us that the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus to anoint and empower him for spirit-filled ministry. Jesus fulfills his ministry, returns to his heavenly throne, and then sends the Holy Spirit to descend upon and spiritually baptize the Christians to continue the ministry of Christ. And so what it means to do spirit-filled ministry is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to be following in the example of Jesus. And so what, what I like to say is number one, uh, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts, but first and foremost, the Holy Spirit is the gift. Different Christians have different spiritual gifts, but we all have the same Holy Spirit. And so the gift is the Holy Spirit. And then he brings with him additional gifts. Let me say it this way. People don't just have gifts, people are gifts. You may not know this, but you are a gift. You're a gift to our church family. We love you. If you're here, it's an honor to have you. It's a blessing to have you. Uh, my wife and my kids, they're all gifted. God has given them spiritual gifts, but they are gifts. They don't just come with gifts, they are gifts. Right? When I held my children in my hands when they were born, they were a gift. 
They're a gift from the Lord and they come with gifts from the Lord. So first and foremost, the Holy Spirit is the gift and then he gives additional gifts and you are a gift and you come with additional gifts. But what we don't wanna do is just focus on the gifts that you bring, but the gifts that you are so that we love people and we don't just use people for what they can do for us. In addition, what we learn here is that ministry is going to work with your father. And that's what Jesus does. And that's what the Christians do. So let me explain spirit-filled ministry to you and how I see it. I'll tell you a story. I, uh, there's probably, I'm like Jesus in three ways. Um, I'm the oldest of a large family. My dad's name is Joe and he's a construction worker. That's probably the only three things I have in common with Jesus. <laughs> None of which are you know, high character or particular, nothing that I did. So I was born to a man named Joseph who swung a hammer and that was my dad. And so growing up, my dad worked very hard to literally break his back feeding our family. And I wanna publicly honor my dad, Joe, Joseph, uh, who's a great man and a hardworking man. And I learned how to work from my dad. And I would see my dad get up and he would put on his steel-toed work boots, his jeans, he would put on his white t-shirt. He would grab his lunchbox with his thermos, grab his hard hat, his tool belt, and he would jump in the truck early to work long hours to feed our family. And then one day I was a little boy, uh, quite young, I don't remember how young, probably even before school age, my dad said, hey, Marky, I, I'm gonna take you to work with me tomorrow. I was like, that sounds awesome. That sounds great, I'm, I'm, I'm now a man. This is my blue collar bar mitzvah. I'm, I'm, I'm now a man. So, um, and so I, I got up early in the morning with my dad and I put on my little boots and my little jeans and my little white t-shirt and I grabbed my little lunchbox and my little thermos. I got my little hard hat. I got my little tool bucket and I jumped in the truck with my dad and we're going to work and I'm feeling like, I'm feeling like a, a little man. Marky's feeling good. So I, I'm, I'm driving with my dad. We get to the job site and I, he worked a regular job during the week and then he would take side jobs on the weekend. And I think this was probably a side job and I think we were remodeling a house. And he looked at me, he said, okay, Marky, here's what's gonna happen. When I cut wood, I need you to pick up the scraps, you know, put them in the garbage. I need you to sweep up and I'm gonna start a few nails and I'm gonna need you to finish them. And so now I've, I've, got, I've got my position uh, on the team. I'm, I'm, I'm part of the, the crew. And then lunch comes and uh, we're sitting around and I crack open my lunchbox and my thermos and I'm sitting there with my dad and I looked at him and I said something to the effect of, you sure got a lot of work to do. It's a good thing I'm here. <laughs> uh, it's a good thing you brought Marky to the job. I'm what we call a difference maker. And so in my heart, I thought, you know what? My dad really needs me and I'm, I'm a big help. How many of you know that with power tools on a job site, a four-year-old is not really a great contributor? <laughs> My dad was kind to me and he's like, yeah, thanks, thanks Marky for helping. You've been a big help, son. Now that I'm a little bit older, I see things a little bit differently. Did my dad bring me to work because he needed me or because he loved me? Because he loved me. There was nothing that I did that my dad couldn't do. And to be honest with you, I think he would have been more efficient if I wasn't involved. Usually with table saws, four-year-olds are a liability. My dad brought me to work, not because he needed me, but because he loved me, not because he wanted to use me, but because he wanted to know me. And so in going to work, I got to see what my dad was doing. And I got to do it with my dad and it built our relationship. Spirit-filled ministry is going to work with your heavenly father. 
I've got many scriptures in the book. I'll give one, but this is the language that Jesus keeps using for ministry. He says, um, my father is working and I am working. You need to know this, that God the Father is at work. He's pursuing people, teaching people, loving people, healing people, blessing people, unburdening people, instructing people right now. And he's filled you with the Holy Spirit if you are a child of God, and he's asking you to serve and to go to work with him. And as you do, it's not something you have to do, it's something you get to do. And it's not something that ultimately should cause a lot of burden for you because your father is doing most of the heavy lifting but it's a great blessing for you to be involved in what your father is doing. And as you see your heavenly father at work, you're gonna to get to know him and he's gonna to get to know you. Your relationship will be built. And this is where there is no maturing without serving. There is no maturing without serving. And so the way we do this is what the Bible calls spiritual gifts. So this introduces our theme for the series. We looked at this in Romans 1, 11 and 12. We just finished this great book of the Bible. And what Paul says, I long to see you. He's gonna go visit this church that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. There's our theme. To strengthen you, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. What Paul is saying is, I wanna come visit your church because I, I have some spiritual gifts that I wanna strengthen you with, but you have spiritual gifts that I need to strengthen me. And so what happens when everyone serves, everyone benefits, everyone wins. And what happens is when you serve someone with your gift and they serve you with their gift, you're mutually strengthened and this builds the relationship. This is where sometimes people will be involved in a church and say, I just don't feel close, I don't feel connected, I don't have any relationships, start serving, start serving. Once you are serving them and they are serving you and you are strengthening one another, that's how relationships are formed, through mutual investment. And so there are four places in the New Testament that list what are called spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, and Ephesians 4. Again, this is all in the book and it's laid out for you. None of these lists are the same. They're all different. They're all different. And so the question is, well, how do we know what the spiritual gifts are? Some people will say, well, if we take all four lists and we combine them, then we'll have the sum total of all of the New Testament spiritual gifts. And I would say, I disagree with that. I don't believe that the lists are exhaustive. I believe they are examples. And what, what I'm saying is, this is my definition of a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is any ability that the Holy Spirit uses to do ministry through you. As long as the Holy Spirit says, I'm gonna use that for team Jesus, then that's a spiritual gift. And so the Bible does list some gifts, but you will have abilities that are not listed and those are opportunity for ministry. Let me talk a little bit about this. So example in the Old Testament, uh, there are people that are artisans and craftspeople, and they're building the temple and doing artwork and making music. And it constantly says that they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mention those gifts in the New Testament. But how many of you have seen a worship leader who is anointed to lead? And you've seen one who's not. Okay. You could sense it, you're like, they have an anointing on them. God has appointed them with special ability to lead in maybe music or in worship. 
This is not listed in the New Testament, but it is exemplified in the Old Testament. There are other things that are called gifts that are not listed in the New Testament for lists of gifts. One example is in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, the apostle Paul says that he has the gift of celibacy. I don't know about you, that does not sound like a gift. That's, that's, and, and if you're praying for a gift, don't pray for that one. And if you do, you're weird. Okay, I just, I'll just tell you like, so I'm gonna die a virgin. Like, do I die young? I mean, you know, like, I, you know. But for Paul, this was a unique, special gift that God had to give him because he's traveling, he's starting riots, he's hated, he's sued, he's, he's got pickets and protests and death threats and jail sentences and execution plots. And if you got a pregnant wife who's trying to keep up, that's a problem. And so God gives him this gift of celibacy. And so what I would simply say to you is this, Whatever God gives you, he can use for ministry and God doesn't waste anything in your life. Some of you have great physical talent, you're athletic. Some of you have perfect pitch. Some of you are very technologically capable. Uh, all of you have different skills and abilities and talents and capacities. And the Holy Spirit won't waste any of that. He'll invest all of that into some form of meaningful ministry for you. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, Every Christian believer has at least one, oftentimes more than one spiritual gift and different degrees of gifting. So someone might have, uh, let's say an administrative gift and they can manage their household budget and finances. Somebody's got a higher degree of gifting, they can run a small business. Someone else can be the CFO of a Fortune 500 company. Not only is there a gift called administration, there are degrees of gifting which different people can lead or serve at different capacities. And the key is this, is to be content with your gift, not to covet their gift. Oftentimes you look at people who are like, I wish I was like them. God's like, no, no, no. I made them and I made you and I need you to do what I made you to do. And I need them to do what I made them to do. Paul tells this to a young man named Timothy, he says, fulfill your ministry. Your job is not to fulfill their ministry. Your job is to fulfill your ministry. And the truth is, if we covet someone else's gifts rather than having contentment with our own, we will not enjoy the life and ministry that God has appointed for us. And we will take on responsibilities that will crush us. Right? If you think, I, I really want this gift and God hasn't gifted you to do that. And the Holy Spirit isn't empowering you to do that. If you try to do that, that will harm you. It will not help you because God has not appointed you to do that ministry. So the key is to be content with who God made you to be and not to covet who God has made someone else to be. Now, when it comes to spiritual gifts, there are a lot of varieties. Some are what we would call extraordinary, like healing. Others are very ordinary, like service. How can I help? In addition, sometimes the gifts are a one-time occasion and sometimes they're ongoing ministry. Generally speaking, there are three categories of gifts. I'll do the introduction this week. And then in each of the ensuing three weeks, we'll do up the three categories. First Peter four lists two of the categories of gifts, speaking and serving. The serving gifts, some of you are going to do ministry with your hands. You're very practical people. You're like, I don't wanna argue, can we do something? You're those people, we love you. You're, you're building something, you're, you're serving somewhere. It's, it's a lot of practical, physical 
investment. That's what you do. Your gifts are in serving. Some of you, your gifts are in speaking. You're going to encourage, you're going to teach, you're going to instruct or correct, and you're largely verbal. And then the third category is the more controversial one. It's called the sign gifts or the supernatural gifts. This is like tongues, healing, prophecy, miracles. Uh, these things are what we would hold in the open hand, but we're gonna deal with all of these in the last sermon. And if you wanna read ahead, it's all in the book and I get into all of the issues, but just so you know, little spoiler alert, I believe in all of that. And we're gonna talk about all of that. So are these three categories. And as we're studying, I want you to be asking the Holy Spirit, what is my divine design? And the divine design is your spiritual gift, your abilities, your talents, your experiences. This can include some of your employment history or your life experience. God uses all of your divine design to appoint for you some sort of meaningful ministry. So some of you, you've dealt with physical ailment and now you have insight. Some of you have been through a divorce or you have a blended family or you've lost a child to a miscarriage or you've started a company or you've had a lot of responsibility or you've had you know, to manage finances or wealth. God has given you different abilities, capacities, experiences and burdens and all of that together shapes your divine design. And so my hope and prayer in this whole series is not only do you know who God is, but you know who you are and who God made you to be because ministry, is what God does for you, in you, and through you. Jesus lived and died for you, rose for you. The Holy Spirit does a work in you. He changes your desires, your nature, gives you gifts and a calling. And all of a sudden you wanna learn the Bible, you wanna pray, you wanna serve Jesus, and then God works through you. And that's ministry. And so figuring out your divine design prepares you for God working through you to do meaningful, valuable, purposeful ministry. And I'll just tell you how exciting this is. Some of you are serving in ministry and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But for some of you, you're going to meet with someone and say something, and that's gonna be God speaking through you. You'll be like, I didn't even think of that. And that ministered to them, or God reminded me of that scripture, or I prayed for them and God answered that prayer and he showed up. And you're gonna see the Holy Spirit working through you, which is really the focus of our time together in this series. So that explains spiritual gifts and your divine design. What I wanna do now, I wanna look summarily and briefly at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. It is the most uh, compressed section on spiritual gifts in the whole New Testament. And uh, he's going to give us a few guardrails to operate within for spiritual gifts. And the first thing he says is there's a difference between getting a gift and using a gift. First Corinthians 12, one, now concerning spiritual gifts. So he introduces the theme for this section, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So the first thing is God doesn't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. He wants you to know what your gift is or gifts are. In addition, he wants you to help others discover their divine design. Some of you are married. This will help you understand your spouse. When Grace and I first got married, we do things very differently. Our gifts are very different. And so as we're, we're doing life together, how she walks with the Lord is a little different than how I walk with the Lord. The key is we're both going north, so we're okay. But I had to learn to understand her so I could appreciate and encourage her. She had to learn how to understand me so she could appreciate and encourage me. And then we started adding kids and they're all different as well. And now it's like, okay, we see this kid's gift. So let's say you've got kids like we do. The one who organizes everything, gift of administration. 
when you're hurting, the, the kid who comes and sits next to you on the couch and holds your hand, oh, mercy or compassion. Uh, the kid who helps their siblings with the chores, oh, gift of helps or service. Uh, the one who's bossing everyone around, a gift of leadership that needs to be developed, okay? <laughs> uh, just, you're gonna start to see this in others. And so God, God not only gives you a gift and you need to be uh, informed about how that gift operates, then you need to figure out how to use it because there's getting a gift and using a gift. So let's say somebody gives you a musical instrument. You now have the gift, you gotta learn how to play it. You gotta figure out how to play that instrument. How do you determine what your gift is and help others do the same? Let me ask you some questions like, what's unique about you? What's unique about you? What in the past have you been good at or had success at? When other people come to you and they're looking for help, what are they asking for? It's like, hey, could you help? Could you, could you pray with me about this? Maybe you have gift of faith. I'm really hurting. Can, can you help me manage my emotion? You may have gift of mercy or encouragement. My life is a mess. Can you help me put a plan together? You may have gift of administration. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Can you tell me what to do? You may have gift of leadership. Um, you have gifts and God has been already using you and how are people approaching you and what are they seeking from you? In addition, what do other people say? Wise counsel, people who love the Lord. They're like, you're good at this. I see this in your life. I see this given to you as a gift from God. In addition, things like, what are you passionate about or who are you passionate about? Some of you are really passionate. I talked to a guy recently, he, he's a, he loves junior high students. I was like, okay, you're the one. You know, the, he's like, I just love hanging out with junior high kids. How many of you, you're like, I don't have that passion, right? That's a lot of Axe body spray. I mean, if you've met a teenage boy, <laughs> it's, it's pugnant, man. Uh, some of you have a heart for single moms. Some of you have a heart for uh, elderly folks who are, you know, unable to live with full freedom. And so you wanna go visit them and minister to them. Who or what has God given you a passion for? My wife has a passion for babies. We didn't accidentally have five. Okay. So even this week I was on a study break and Grace had an evening free and I kept calling and texting her and she wasn't getting back to me and I didn't know what she was doing. So at the end of the night, she called me back. I was like, honey, where were you? What were you doing? She's like, oh, I went to Trinity Church and I went to work in the nursery because I just needed to hold some babies. How many of you during a monsoon, it was, I mean, like she probably drove our ark to the church. It was that kind of weather. Monsoon hits, my wife is like, I'm gonna go hold me some babies. And what's crazy is you brought your babies. That tells me you really needed a date night, okay? So, but her, her, her heart in that night was, I just need to hold babies for a few hours. That's what I need to do. She was ministering to them. The babies probably didn't know this. They were ministering to her. It's mutual encouragement. What are you passionate about? What are you joyous for? Who or what do you have a heart for? What do you care about? Who do you care about? That's part of your divine design and your spiritual gifts will help you to serve in meaningful ways. So the key is just get started serving. Just try something and if it doesn't work, try something else. I got saved in college at the age of 19. My first ministry was kids ministry. They got up in church and they're like, we got a women's Bible study meets during the day. We got a bunch of little kids that are too young for school. Who would like to watch, I don't know, 20 little kids. I was like, I will, I raised my hand. 
They looked at me like, you're a college guy. Yeah, but I was the oldest of five kids. I was a big brother. I love kids. I, I think I can do this. I learned I can't. But nonetheless, <laughs> I showed up. And they, the moms tell me, okay, here's what you do. So I'm, you know, I'm fishy crackers, Bible stories. You know, this is what I'm doing. And I learned two things. Number one, I'm a horrible mother. That's the first thing I learned. <laughs> Even a good father is a horrible mother. Amen? Every, every man knows this. As soon as you see your wife with a child, you're like, yeah, I can't do that. I don't, I don't have those superpowers. I'm just a dad. And I started serving. And what I realized was I love kids, but I'm probably not called to be a lifelong children's ministry director. Okay. And so then I started finding other ways to serve, just trying to figure out where do I fit? And I did serve in that capacity for the whole year. When Grace transferred out to my college, she started serving with me in kids ministry. She started watching the little ones with me and she was great at it. And so we served together. And then we volunteered for another ministry called Meals on Wheels. And as college kids, we took our Saturday and we would drive meals to older folks who were home. And I thought we, I told Grace like, oh, it's a short list, we'll knock it out. It took forever. Because people that cannot leave their home and are elderly are lonely. I didn't know that because I was young. So we knock on the door, we've got your meal. They're like, come on in. You're like, no, they're like, no, come on in. I mean, they're, they're, very, they're very persistent, you know? And okay, we're playing cards now, that's what we're doing. So we spent a lot of time drinking tea and playing cards and visiting with some elderly folks. Some loved Jesus and we learned a lot from them. Some didn't know Jesus, we talked to them about Jesus. And I, I thought about it. This is the 29th anniversary weekend of our wedding. Grace and I have been together since we were 17, which is 33 years. And we've been married uh, 29 years this weekend. Um, you could clap. She, she has a high pain tolerance, so we're still going, you know. And, uh, but what I thought about was there has not been a week since college that Grace and I haven't been serving together in ministry. I think one of the reasons that we've stayed together is we serve together. And we've always done ministry together. And in doing so, she figured out her gifts and I figured out my gifts. So then I started going to Bible studies and I had a great first pastor, a godly man that I just hold in the highest honor. And he knew the Bible and he was, he was just a really great Bible teacher. And I remember sitting there going, the guy knows the Bible. People ask questions, he can answer their questions. That's me. My gift is studying and knowledge and teaching. And, and that just sort of awakened in me and understanding, okay, I, I wanna do what he does. I know it's gonna be a lot of work and I may not do it as well as he does, but I wanna do what he does. That's what God has given to me as my gifts. So the way that you find your gifts is by serving. And the way you grow in your gifts is finding people who have your gifts and are a little more advanced or mature than you. And then they help you grow in your giftedness. And that's what it means to be a church family. A few other principles that the Apostle Paul, or I should say the Holy Spirit through Paul gives us, God creates and Satan counterfeits. This is really significant because you don't just need to be spiritual, you need to be spiritually discerning. He says this, 1 Corinthians 12, two through three, you know that when you were pagans, non-Christians, unbelievers, other religions and ideologies, you were led astray, you were off track, you were wrong to mute idols, demons posing and pretending to be gods, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one could say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is this, when God does ministry, Satan does anti-ministry. Every time God is seeking to advance his kingdom, Satan will oppose his kingdom. 
Every time there is a teacher, Satan's gonna raise up a false teacher. Every time there is a shepherd, Satan is gonna raise up a wolf. And what he's saying is you, you used to be in the demonic realm and now you're in the realm of the Holy Spirit. But even in the church and ministry, Satan will still show up and seek to cause division and opposition. And so you need to be discerning about what is from the Holy Spirit and what is from the unholy spirits, okay? It's where the Bible says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Uh, let me tell you how this works. I've even seen in other religions or, or spiritualities, people be healed. And I didn't share this in the previous term, but I'll just share one example. I, uh, I had a person who was a brand new Christian and they were very sick and they used to be in another religion and, and they prayed to their old God to heal them. Not to Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, they went back to their old religion and they got healed. So and they're like, well, my old God healed me. So I met with them and, uh, and come to find that a demon had tormented them to make them sick. And as soon as they prayed to the false God, the demon removed the sickness to heal them because a demon is willing to heal your body to damn or harm your soul. And so what I said was, I said, the Holy Spirit could have healed you by removing this demonic attack. But instead the demon fooled you to worship someone or something other than God. So the point is this, as we're dealing in the supernatural, we need to be supernaturally discerning. Amen. And it's not just, I wanna be spiritual, I wanna be spirit filled. I, 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 want, I want supernatural power. No, I only want what the Holy Spirit wants. And let me say this as well. Sometimes Satan will even use true gifts from God against God. Let's say you've got the gift of encouragement. Is that a good gift? We like you. You, you were most huggable in high school. Congratulations, now you know why. You have the gift of encouragement. But let's say someone has evil intended and you encourage them. Now you're taking a true gift and using it for an evil purpose. Some of you need to know not just what gift you have, but how to be discerning in the application and use of your gift. Everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. In addition, he's going to compare and contrast your physical body with our church body. 1 Corinthians 12, just as the body is one. So he's talking about your physical body and has many members or parts. And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. That you have a physical body that your soul lives in. The Holy Spirit has a physical body he lives in. That is in addition to your physical body, it's our church body, all of us together as a church family. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. For the body does not consist of one member or part, but of many. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. So what he's saying is this, that you can learn a lot about how to be a church body by looking at your own body. Let me say this, your body, physical body, it's a miracle. I talked to somebody recently, they're not a Christian, like, well, if God would just give me a miracle, I'd believe in him. I said, you live in one. <laughs> you, you, your body's a miracle. I mean, I've seen multiple medical doctors who went to med school as non-Christians get saved just looking at the human body going, somebody made this. This is divine design right here. Everything works together. Um, I'm no doctor, but when I looked up, your body has 206 bones, 
650 skeletal muscles, 210 types of cells. You look at the body and it is, as the psalmist says, fearfully and wonderfully made. Like, that's incredible. If you've ever been a pregnant lady, you're like, okay, I make people and they just sort of grow and then they grow up. That's a, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. And what he says is, look at the complexity of your physical body for everything to work together. Just think about what it took for you to drive here. Your eyes are seeing something that your brain is processing, that your system is responding to so that you can drive on the freeway. Just the number of systems that are involved and things that you and I take for granted is really incredible. And what he's saying is that the church body should operate or function like the physical body. And what this means is unity. First and foremost, it means unity. Aren't you glad that your right hand didn't pick a fight with your face? I mean, that, that'd be a bad day. You're like, no, no, we need to get along. I, I got enough problems. I don't need this one. There needs to be unity in working together, not only in the church, but between the churches. This is really important. In the same way that your fist shouldn't punch you in the face, Christians shouldn't be punching one another in the face. We're all part of one body. See, we have a church and there are other churches. Jesus looks down from heaven. What does he see? One church, all of his people. And what he's saying is, I don't just want the people in these local bodies to get along. I want the whole body to get along. If somebody is on team Jesus, we're on their team, they're on our team. If somebody's loving and serving Jesus, then we love and serve them. We believe in unity among God's people so that there can be harmony within the body of Christ. In addition to unity, there's diversity. What he's saying is you've got different body parts. And this diversity means that we're not all exactly the same. You and you and you, you're unique. And God uniquely created you and uniquely appointed you. And then there's also the third principle is interdependence. We need each other. Your toe needs your foot, right? Your fingers need your hand. Your head needs your neck, right? Otherwise we're all Mr. Potato Head and we got ourselves into quite a situation. All the parts are disconnected, it's interdependence. And the point is this, just because people are different than you doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them. It means that you need them. This is where sometimes what happens in a church, we will judge people who are unlike us. Well, you know, here's my gift. And if you're really spiritual, you'll be like me. No, 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 no. Those who are truly spiritual have the character of Christ and we are different. We are unified, we are interdependent. And let me say how this works. Sometimes God will move people from one local church body to another church body to serve the whole of the body of Christ. Sometimes people will make it a negative thing. Well, they left that church. Well, they may have been called. There's a situation in Acts 13 where there are five amazing, well-known Bible preachers. And the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, you got five guys who can preach. There's a church over here that doesn't have a preacher. So these two guys are gonna go there and God sends them. In the same way, if you're on a, let's say you're in a soccer league and one team has got five goalies and no strikers and one team's got five strikers and no goalies, you know what they need to do? Make a trade. And so what God does, it says that God appoints the parts in each local church body for the benefit of the whole body of Christ. Sometimes God will say, well, I'm gonna put you in that church because they need you. And I'm gonna take somebody out of that church and I'm gonna put them over in this church because they're needed there. And it's just trusting that Jesus Christ knows exactly what he's doing, not judging anyone, but loving and serving everyone. In addition, the next principle that he gives us 
is the difference between Christian ministry and Christian maturity. There's a difference between your gifts and your character. And sometimes people get rushed because of their gifts, but they're not ready in their character. So he's gonna talk about love. This is, um, this is my story. As a young man, I got saved at 19. I started preaching and teaching almost immediately. I was a senior pastor by age 25 before we even had children. And so all of a sudden media is calling and I'm speaking and I'm at conferences and I'm platformed. My gifts were ahead of my maturity. I have no one to, to blame but me. To quote that great theologian, Chris Stapleton, I got nobody to blame but me. <laughs> they asked, hey, would you do this? I'll do it. But what happened was my gifts were given by God, but character and maturity is developed over time. So sometimes you can be more gifted than you are mature. And it's not just about your gifts, it's about your maturity. So I said and did things that I regret as a young man. And, and what Paul is saying here is out of love for you, out of love for you. And this is why he puts love in this place. I'll give you an analogy before we read 1 Corinthians 13. And this is really the heart of the sermon. Not a trick question, what is this? It's an Oreo, okay? Pastor Mark, are we gonna do this for communion? If so, this is a good idea. Okay, so. <laughs> no, it's an illustration, okay? So 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are like the wafers. It's about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 in the middle is about love. It's like the frosting. What holds it together? What's in the middle? What Paul is gonna say is, here's some gifts, here's some gifts, but everything falls apart unless there's love. Love needs to be in the middle and it holds everyone and everything together, okay? So we're gonna talk about the unifying factor of love. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, we're gonna get into that in the last week. What does it mean to pray in the language of angels? We'll talk about it. But have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, I can predict the future. I actually know when Jesus is coming back and understand all mysteries. Ask me questions about the book of Revelation. I have no problem with Bible jeopardy. And all knowledge, I even understand Leviticus. <laughs> and if I have all faith, I trust God for anything. And when I pray, he moves mountains, but I don't love, I am nothing. That's a big statement, friends. If I give away all I have, spiritual gift of giving. If I deliver my body to be burned, I'm a martyr, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Well, what is love then? Well, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. Team Jesus is team love. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Your gifts, your gifts, your character. We have different spiritual gifts, but we have the same fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love. That's what Paul says in Galatians. 
And sometimes people are like, well, this is my gift. or this is my gift. It's like, either way, love. Every spiritual gift is a way for us to love. There was a, there was a very popular book on marriage called The Love Languages. And the basic premise of the book is that different people give and receive love in different ways or languages. So to understand your spouse, how they love may be different than the way you love. You may not feel that they're very loving to you and they feel unappreciated because they are loving you. They're just loving you in their love language. First Corinthians 12 and 14, give us spiritual gifts. Those are love languages. And in first Corinthians 13, he says in the middle that it's all about the love. So the person who is serving, that is their love language. The person who is administrating, that is their love language. The person who is teaching or encouraging, that is their love language. And this is how we learn to appreciate how others are loving us and how we can love them. And what we're seeing here is really the character, the spirit-filled character of Jesus Christ. So you can look at it this way. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant. Jesus is not rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable, grumpy, or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Uh, Jesus' love never ends. And then you can examine your own life. And this is where it gets convicting and the Holy Spirit will highlight for you and me the areas where we need to be more surrendered to the Spirit. Am I patient? Am I kind? Do I envy? Do I boast? Am I arrogant? Am I rude? Do I insist on my own way? We're gonna do what I wanna do. Am I irritable, grumpy? Am I resentful, bearing a grudge, unforgiving? Do I rejoice at wrongdoing? When my enemy goes down, does my joy go up? How am I doing at being loving? There are different gifts of the Spirit, but there is the same fruit of the Spirit for all Christians. And what this means is number one, as we serve in our gifting, we need to make love our priority. That needs to be the priority. Let me just say this friends, this world is just absolutely void of love. Our, our world is not loving right now. Our, our world is a hostile, violent, dangerous, self-righteous, conflicted, arrogant, painful reality. And what this world needs is love and love comes from God because God is love. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the love of God so that the love of God can not only be for us and in us, it can flow through us. And what we wanna be as a church family, we wanna be an outpost for the kingdom of God. We wanna be the players on team Jesus. And we want this to be a place where there is a supernatural love. There's a love that defies everything else in the world because it is based upon our God who rules over the world. And sometimes what that means is that you and I need to think about what is best for others, not just ourselves. And sometimes that even means serving outside of your area of gifting. And I'm all for personality tests. And I, I think all of that's actually quite fascinating and interesting, but what it can lead to is very selfish people. Oh, that's not my personality. I'm a J-E-R-K. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't do L-O-V-E. I do J-E-R-K, that's my personality, you know. Um, or we will excuse our unwillingness to serve because of our personality or gifting. 
So I'll give you an example. My wife's gift, one of her gifts is service. She just loves to help and serve. I don't have that gift. So when I would come home from work, my gift is preaching and teaching. I don't know if you know that, it's, a little, it's my thing. So, um, so I would come home from work and she's got five kids. You know, so one's throwing up, two are fighting. I won't name them, but they know who they are. Like we'd had things going on at the house and I would walk in the door and guess what my wife wanted? Help. She's like, you need this help. I'm like, how about a sermon? You know, <laughs> I'm a preacher. I, I will preach about child obedience. <laughs> She's like, no, you're gonna take the trash out. Otherwise I'm gonna use my gift of stabbing you in the liver. Like you need, you need to serve. In any family and any church family, sometimes love says that's not my gift, but it's not about my gift. It's about your need. So how can I do what is loving for you? And for all of this to happen, then he has this final principle where he is talking about the difference between public and private ministry. First Corinthians 14, the one who speaks in a tongue, this is a private prayer language of tongues, the, ang the angelic language of heaven. We'll deal with that, it's in the book. And builds himself up. Is it a bad thing in your private worship with God to build yourself up? Is that bad? No, you should have a quiet time, you should pray, you should sing. You need to meet with God. I mean, you need God. That's a good thing. But the one who prophesies builds up the church, preaching, teaching, speaking. Even if lifeless instruments such as the flute or harp do not give a distinct note, how will anyone know it is played? Since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. He distinguishes between your private worship, builds up himself and public worship, building up the church. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, but all things should be done decently and in order. What he's saying is, when you're a child, you're totally selfish. And have you raised a child? They come out selfish. You don't need to teach them that. Maturity reaches a point where at some point the child realizes this is a planet that has other people. It's not just me. So I need to start to consider others and not just myself. We all start selfish and maturity is considering others, not just ourselves. And there's a difference here between your private worship to build yourself up and the public worship to build others up. So let me give you um, an example. Um, how many of you love to sing to the Lord and worship in your car. How many of you like that, amen? But you can't sing, okay? You just can't, you just can't, okay? Now the good news is between you and heaven, there's an auto-tune. And by the time it gets to Jesus, he's like, they're amazing. So you're doing, so that's fine. So in your private worship of God, you are singing and worshiping and it builds you up and it expresses your love for God and it motivates your soul in your car. So then you drive your car to the church and you walk into the church and you're like, I love to sing, can I have a microphone? Answer, we need to see if you can sing. No, but I, 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 I worship God from my heart, I'm sure you do. But when you open your mouth, that's also a variable we need to consider, okay? <laughs> And sometimes what happens is we think that our private worship needs to be public. And what it does, it's, it's selfish because it doesn't build others up. 
and we're thinking more about ourselves than about them. I'll give you an example. So I love to sing. I clap my hands, I raise my hands, I kneel. Uh, the Bible says, shout to the Lord. I'm like, amen. Like I love, I like to sing. I'm an expressive, I cannot sing. One of my, I check my mic 17 times after I preach because I go to sing and my greatest fear is I'm live streamed <laughs> singing. It's like my, it's like my nightmare. Like, like, please kill my mic after I'm done preaching because that's private, not public. That's to build me up. But here's what I promise you. If I lead us in worship, it will not build up the church. I just promise you that. People will just be running, fleeing like the building is on fire. And so part of it is trying to figure out what is your private relationship with God, your private ministry with God, your public relationship with God, your public ministry for God or with God. And this is why I'm so excited for you. God has significant, meaningful, valuable, purposeful ministry for you. He's not gonna waste anything in your life. He's gonna invest everything in your life in his kingdom. And so I just want you, as we're gonna spend time here in a moment, worshiping God, just asking the Holy Spirit, what do you have me to do? How did you make me? What is my divine design? What is my place on Team Jesus? And, uh, and in a moment, I'll pray for you. Um, Calvin, is your mom here? Is Grace here? I'm gonna invite up um, somebody very special to me. Hey, baby. So what I... Uh, what I wanna do in closing, I'm gonna have Grace close the sermon in prayer. Um, this is my wife, Grace. Today is our 29th wedding anniversary. And um, I'm the one on the right. Um, they say, as you get older, you look similar. And I praise God, that's not true. So um, this is uh, for you, sweetie pie. We're dripping, okay. It's okay. Uh-oh, who baptized the flowers? Okay, so um, I wanted to publicly thank you for your ministry to me. Grace bought me my first Bible. I got saved reading it. And then you moved out and we went to college together. And from day one, we did ministry together. We've been doing ministry together every week. There's not been an exception uh, since we were college students. I wanna thank you for your gifts of serving and faith. Um, I wanna thank you for loving and serving uh, me and our children and serving very faithfully to help us plant Trinity Church, which is about to turn five years old. And I rejoice that the children have your resiliency and your work ethic and your faith and your love and your kindness. And um, it has just been really exciting to see your gifts grow and for you to grow as a leader, especially of the women. And we wanna establish here at the church a culture of honor and to honor and thank people who are serving. And you were the first person to start serving here at the church <laughs> and you're still my favorite and the cutest. And I wanna thank you for 29 years and I wanna ask you to sign up for 29 more. So, Amen. <laughs> come, thank you for loving and leading all of us. Yeah. Dear Lord, thank you so much that we get the opportunity. Um, we don't have to, we get to serve. And you change our hearts so that we want to love and serve others. So Lord, I pray that as we um, do 
the due diligence to figure out what our gifts are, Lord, that you would just give us spaces to practice those and love others well, and that that would be such an example of your gospel and of your life, Lord. Thank you that we get to be a part of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you want to be a part of getting more Bible teaching out across the world, visit realfaith.com slash donate. And for more content like this, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's all about Jesus.